Okay, good evening everyone. We practice meditation, we practice mindfulness, we practice with the purpose, for the purpose of for the purpose of, of strengthening our minds. We don't practice to escape or to change, not to change our experiences anyway. You don't come here thinking, I'll go to the meditation center so I won't have to deal with my real life problems. I hope you don't. I need a vacation, I'll go and stay in a room in a basement somewhere. We come here to, to become strong. It's important that we understand we understand the weakness in, in defilement or the weakness in evil. Goodness is strength, not because it's goodness, but because that's the definition of goodness. It's a part of the definition of goodness is to, is strength. It's part of it's a characteristic of certain mind states that really deserve the title of goodness. Yes, there's a strength to them. And the reason why we denounce and reject certain other states, greed, anger, delusion, is because they're weak, they're vulnerable, fragile. If you're a person easily angered, you're going to react. Easily, easily disturbed. What's wrong with anger? Well, we say anger is evil. What's really evil about it? The worst thing about anger is you poke someone who's angry and they, they're disturbed. They suffer. Or greed. If you like things, if you want things, you're vulnerable. You're weak. Easily manipulated. How do you manipulate someone? Well, there are different ways, but one of the easiest ways is take advantage of their addictions, their their likes, their dislikes. It's much harder to manipulate someone who has no likes or dislikes, who is not moved 
This is what the Buddha said. He said, Putasa loka dhammihi chitangyasana kampati. There is the sort of person who, when touched by the the loka dhamma, the ways of the world, chitangyasana kampati, their mind the mind of such a person, such a person, the mind of a person who is not shaken, na kampati, kampati is like this, waver, na, no. Asokang, because their mind is not shaken by the vicissitudes of life, the changes, the ways of the world. They're un, un, what's the word? Unsad, un, unmournful, uh, unregret, unregretful, unregretting. Virajang, stainless, pure. No? Kemang, safe. Safe, truly safe. Etamangalamutamang. This is the highest blessing. This is a ultimate blessing, a real and true blessing. So I thought it would be useful for us to talk a little bit about, I think I've talked about these before, but about the lokadhamma, the things in the world that disturb us, that cause us to waver, to, in our minds, cause us to become upset. What are they? Gain and gain and loss. We're disturbed and upset by these things. Disturbed positively in the sense of wanting gain, negatively in the sense of fearing and reacting negatively to loss. So much of what we do in the world is for gain, to get this, get that. Get money. Money is really just a placeholder, isn't it? I mean, money is not a good in and of itself. I argued with my philosophy professor about this last year. He was saying money isn't um, the people, because I think it was, who is it? Aristotle says something about people who, who, are, who, who crave after money, who see money as the ultimate good. And I said, well, isn't it? Isn't it possible that someone could just really like money because it's it's true, no? As ridiculous as it seems, people are just happy to have lots of money. I mean, if you think about it logically, well, it is just paper. But we get very proud. 
it's gotten to the point where money no longer is a placeholder. M money is, uh, I mean, it represents so much. It represents power. It represents getting so many things. You can get what you want if you have money. So money itself becomes something that you want to get. Wanting to get possessions, a car, a house, so many things. But it's really, it's really deeper than that, isn't it? Wanting to get food. Craving food. Very, very simple desire. Wanting food that you don't have. Coming to a meditation center where all the food is... I don't know, I think Javen makes good food. I don't want to disparage his food, but maybe it's not um, haute couture. Or certainly we have, right now we have a Vietnamese student and uh, where are you from? South America? Central America? Mexico. Mexico. Mexican student. We don't have any Mexican food, I don't think. Maybe some Vietnamese food. Wanting it, wanting this, wanting that. The things we want. Disturbed by it, no? How disturbed the mind becomes, how weak the mind is because of wanting. becomes an obsession where you think as, long, it's, it's, as soon as I get it I'll be happy right? it's okay to want because once I get it then I'll be happy and if you don't challenge yourself you'll never see the it may not it may never not never but you may it may take time for you to actually see how how uh, precarious the situation is as long as you can keep getting what you want maybe tempering your desires sometimes I never see the problem with it until one day bam lost and disturbed by loss disturbed by gain because you can't just sit here when you want something you have to go and get it when you do sit and meditate you're Disturbed constantly by things you want. Gain. Loss. Disturbed by not getting, or by getting, um, by losing the things we want. Not being able to get them. We're afraid of losing money. We're afraid of losing possessions. We're devastated by loss, loss of wealth, loss of health, loss of relatives, friends. We put our, our, our uh, put all of our eggs in one basket, I guess. 
put our eggs in the basket of of the world. We 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 put all of our faith and all of our we wager all of our happiness on on externalities. Our happiness depends upon things which are not dependable. The world is not dependable. A big part of what the Buddha tried to teach, what he saw and what he focused on, and what he tried to impress upon his students, impermanence, uncertainty, that the nature of the world is, is a full spectrum. As long as there's only part of what's possible that is acceptable to you, you're always going to be weak, vulnerable. Until you can be at peace and at ease with the full spectrum of reality, whatever happens, independent, unshaken, right? You'll never truly be at peace until you come to that. Those are the first two lokadhammas. The second one is, um, at one extreme we have fame. At the other one we have, uh, what's the opposite of fame? It's something about... I guess uh, obscurity is perhaps the best one. But it's it's a bit misleading to say obscurity. It really means not having any friends, not having anyone know you, not having any connections, being alone. Right? How, how, how does anyone knows your name to be alone in the world? We're disturbed by by fame, by how many friends we have, how many people know who we are. We're moved by our desire for relations, our desire to be well-known. Our desire to be famous. On many levels, you know, it's just, it refers simply to having friends, having associates and people surrounding you. It can be quite disturbing to people when they don't have any friends or when no one knows them, knows who they are. Being a stranger in a strange land when you travel to another country and really just feeling alone. If you've been surrounded by people who you know, you never realize this until you go to another country and realize, I'm all alone. <laughs> I don't have anyone here. But it gets worse when people really want to be famous, right? And how fickle it can be. You can be famous one day and no one knows who you are the next. The most devastating, I think, is is feeling friendless, feeling like you have no one, no one to support you, no one who cares. 
I think we feel this acutely as meditators. Um, sometimes those people who talk, who I talk to, who, who really become keenly interested in Buddhism and find there's no one around. I always think back to this one woman who who emailed me, and we got into a discussion. She was living in a house, and they really, they literally wouldn't let her meditate. It's evil is satanic and so on I don't think that's I don't think that's a unique situation being alone in the practice of the Dhamma can be quite disturbing it shouldn't be I mean this these these shouldn't be it the problem isn't the experiences you see gain and, and loss are not the problem the problem is being disturbed by them having lots of friends, being alone. You know, you practice meditation for a while and you'll just be perfectly at ease and, and prefer, for the most part, to be alone. Which is quite amazing, really. I think it, it's a, quite a surprise for people who just needed to be around others and needed this support and connection to just feel in, incredibly comfortable just being alone the third set is associated but this is more perhaps more uh, poignant more pointed uh, praise and blame Praise and blame. This one certainly is a it's a cause for for great disturbance. We talk about wavering, how people are disturbed, how we are disturbed by praise and blame. It's a good one, you know, it's a good one to talk about because it's a, it's a good way to test yourself when you're praised and when you're blamed. It's always been uh, quite um, interesting for me being on YouTube and, and having YouTube comments where people will tell me I've changed their life and they think I'm just the, the cat's meow and then the next day get them or the next hour even get a message saying I'm a hustler I'm a fraud must be selling snake oil or something or you know, many many different kinds of opinion but that's nothing really I mean I don't have to deal with half the things that people out there do Daily, people can be confronted by other people telling them, you're useless, you're ugly, you're dumb, you're hopeless. And not in the good way that we talked about, in the bad way. You're a loser, you're a bum. I had one, uh, someone came, came recently and told me that her, her daughter was told she was brown. She she shouldn't show her, her her legs. She shouldn't wear shorts because people would be turned off by her brown skin. 
Apparently that actually happens still in this world. And how devastated we become, right? If someone calls you fat and you're maybe a little bigger than most people, maybe you have more fat than on your body than most people, it can be quite hurtful. There was this big movement now, people getting very angry at how sensitive people are. And it, it, this is an interesting discussion. I mean, there, there's truth to it, the fact that we are oversensitive. If someone, if you're, if you feel, or no, if you if, if you identify, not feel, sorry, if you identify as, a say, a female, and people call you he because, well, you happen to have Y chromosomes. Um, you get very, very upset by that. And they would say, well, stop being such a snowflake. This is the word they use. Snowflake meaning, anyway, I don't want to get into it. But it, it becomes quite violent. And these people can be quite vitriolic and, and hurtful. But But there is a point there that sensitivity is is you've only got yourself to blame if you're sensitive i mean again trying to get everyone to say say the right thing use the right words you know black people are going to be called horrible things you know this word that no one wants to say right you're going to have that mexican people asian people you're all we're all we're all called, you know, I get called white. I don't know, that that's not nearly as harmful as hurtful, but, but people certainly mean it in a derogatory sense. They mean it in a harmful sense. You can't be a real Buddhist because you're white. When I was arrested in, um, no, not, well, not when I was arrested, the, the police before I was arrested and after as well, the police in, in California were constantly on, on me and one uh, Hispanic man said to me, he said, you know, if, if you had if you had Asian skin, if you were if you looked Asian, they wouldn't bother you. So we get. Um, I mean, I obviously I'm in a place of privilege, especially in this country. I get far less of it than people of other. You know, I'm not fat, I'm not short, I'm not a lot of things that people get bullied for. But, you know, we have to, in Buddhism, this is our practice. What I mean to say is that it's all wrong, of course. Anyone who says, honestly, I agree that, you know, if someone wants to be called she, her, he, him, or something else entirely, go for it, you know, the power, you know, fine. It's 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 should be our responsibility to to accommodate them. I mean, it's not like this is something that puts us out. It's wrong to be angry and and hateful towards such people who who have this you know ident identity. But you know whatever side of the fence on of that debate you fall on wherever you fall. In the end, we only have ourselves to blame because we can't, we can't control other people. 
And we're vulnerable, we're sensitive, we're weak. And it's it's not it's not a, a put down or an insult. It's totally understandable because for the most part we don't have any way of becoming strong. We don't have any way of res of of uh, resisting. You can't blame the victim. I mean, actually, ultimately, you can, but. Rather than exactly the victim, you blame the situation that they're in, you know, the the state that they're in. We blame the state that we're in. We're all in wretched state. We're all vulnerable. We're all weak. We're not invincible. It's our it's it's ultimately our fault. We get put into these situations. We we I am blaming the victim, aren't I? No, I mean, the reason we get put in these situations is really because we're the bullies. We've been the bullies. We bully. And because we bully, we, we get caught up in loops of, of revenge. We get caught up in, we, we live in this world because of how we've become. You know, the reason a person perhaps uh, strongly identifies as a female even though they're in the body of a male, or strongly identifies as a male, even though they're in the body of a female. But it has much to do with this going back and forth, not being able to decide, decide from life to life, which is probably most of us. Going back and forth from being male and female and not deciding, being a male and thinking, oh, it'd be nice to be a female, being a female, back and forth. So I met a... Um, and there's this woman, I don't know if she still works there, but works at um, this meditation center. And she was really helpful and really nice and kind. And we worked well together. You know, I was teaching meditation and she was... Every time I went to, to this place, or quite often, she would invite me to teach. And I went to another section in this in Bangkok and Wat Mahathat, and I went to another section and... Uh, talking to the monk about, yeah, or she came to see them or something. Came to see my teacher when he was there, I think. And when she left, he said, yeah, you know that woman? I said, yeah, she, I was I was uh, teaching there and she was helping me. Well, we used to be monks together, he said. I had no idea. Um, but you know, th this is this is how we find ourselves in these situations why we find ourselves I mean, I'm living in Asia as a white person subject to a lot of discrimination so it's not that I don't know these situations and we put ourselves in we get into these situations where we're where we're discriminated against people say nasty things to us That's not really what I wanted to say, because the whole idea of karma and how we got to where we are is not the most important. What's most important is how we react to it, right? So the strength, it's a good example, it's a good thing to bring this up, because strength and, and invulnerability doesn't come from changing your karma. Just really, the, the takeaway from that should just be that 
there, there's no, there should be no doubt or no confusion about why we're in the situation we're in. But the answer isn't to change it. So the answer is not to say, okay, well, if I'm really nice to people and really humble and really patient and so on, everyone will be nice to me. And that's the answer, right? Praise. I'll just get praise. I'll do whatever I can to just be praised. It's a very dangerous road, right? If you're constantly seeking praise, that's even worse. And at the worst, of course, it, it sets you up for disappointment. People don't praise you. Even you don't get um, blamed for anything or, or insulted. Just not have you craving the, the praise. I mean, it's a great test because we're praised and blamed and we're not praised and, and not blamed. How we treat, how, how we, how we re react, how we respond is quite important. So our meditation, I mean, this is all important. It's important discussion for our meditation because this is what we're trying to do. We're not trying to change our situation. We're trying to become strong. When we like something or when we dislike something, when we're moved and upset by the world. The final pair, of course, is the most basic. And that's, it really relates to the rest of them, I think. That's uh, happiness and, and unhappiness, or pleasure and pain. Pleasure and pain is probably the best way to understand it. Pleasure. We get pleasure out of all, the, all of the other things, right? Praise brings us pleasure. Friends, you know, fame brings us pleasure. Um, gain brings us pleasure, but there's just pleasure, uh, basic pleasure as well. Soft seats give us pleasure, nice beds, good food. Food itself, just food and nourishment gives us this warm and full feeling. It certainly takes away the pain and anguish of being hungry. Pleasure seekers. It's really not a deep teaching. I mean, it's not shouldn't be hard to understand, but it is. It is because we're taught something quite different. But it shouldn't be hard to understand that pleasure seeking isn't an, isn't a viable means to find happiness. Always getting what you want is not something anyone ever recommends, right? So we tend instead to live in mediocrity or in some kind of liminal state where we're neither happy nor unhappy, we're not at peace with ourselves, we're able to sustain a low-grade happiness for the most part by not trying to be too happy. Especially as Buddhists, we can... You see a lot of Buddhists who live simple lives, understanding that getting caught up in too much pleasure is going to lead to suffering. And so they engage in pleasurable activities, but they don't obsess about them. And they, 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 they have an awareness, a mindfulness of how 
dangerous it can be to obsess about pleasure and seek it out. But they're still vulnerable. We're still vulnerable. It's a sort of a pleasure, and I'll, I'll bear with some pain. That's not really a solution, though. It's not strong. It's still weak. You're still moved by pleasure and pain. Most of us are like this. Most of us are not addicts in the in the strong sense of the word. But we're still moved by pain. We don't like it. We're weak. We're susceptible to pain and pleasure as well. Hey, who doesn't want to feel pleasure, right? Weakness. This is weakness. It literally is. It's not not, not trying to be um, strict or mean about it, but it literally, in a literal sense, is weakness. That's the point. That it would be stronger, we would be much stronger if we were at peace with pleasure and pain, unmoved by it. That when pleasure pain came, it was just another experience. When pain comes, it's just another experience. When our happiness, our peace, our tranquility, our stability of mind, it's not, uh, it's not dependent, it's not influenced by our experiences. It's the only way because experiences are unpredictable. You can predict and you can control for short periods, but not forever. It's not an it's not a solution. So this should help to understand a little clearer about why we're doing what we're doing. Why are we sitting repeating to ourselves, rising, falling? I think we overlook how powerful just that noting to yourself the stomach rising and falling can be. It's an exercise in strength, in, in invincibility, where you experience something without reacting to it, without judging it, without any kind of labels or value judgment of good or bad. You want to be at peace, you want to be safe, invincible, strong. This is the way to go. Learn how to see things as they are, how to live your life, how to be alive and not be bogged down by judging, judging everything, moment after moment after moment. Judge everything. So the loka dhammas are always something useful to go over. And the over the, the the general teaching of the weakness, how it's how how they are a test for us. They test us constantly. And you can you can judge and you can measure your strength against these things, against the vicissitudes of life. You want to know what it means to be enlightened? How enlightened am I? I am as enlightened as I as I can withstand the vicissitudes of life without being moved by them, without being upset for or against them.
So that's the that's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.